Hello and welcome to another edition of Bills from Afar. You with me, Tim Roger, my co-host Charlie. Charlie, how you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. It's a little bit shorter time frame this time since the last time we spoke. So uh, yeah, yeah, always good to be uh, talking Bills as often as we can, and nice that we can uh, we can do it uh, quite so recently as we as we did the last one. So yeah, um, got an interesting guest coming up today, don't we? Yeah, we certainly do. So we've got uh, Don Purdy, who's a former director of football administration for the Bills. He actually spent 29 years um, with the Bills organisation in Hull. Um, He's the author of the Thunder Snow of Buffalo book. Um, which is all about the recent snowstorm and how the logistics side of things and all of that happened. And also he hosts his own podcast, which you were on, Charlie, which is If the Wolves Could Talk in Buffalo. So, yeah, yeah, really excited to talk about this. And just that kind of side of it, you don't really hear and see the kind of operation side of things. So them coming to the UK and London, we're just going to delve into kind of how that looks like, how, what happened in 2015, because he was part of the Bills organisation in 2015. So it's going to be a really interesting interview. Yeah, it was a pleasure to go on uh, their podcast uh, with Don and, and Josh Cormier, who was a former coaching assistant. And um, yeah, just chatted all things Bills, but from a kind of uh, our perspective across this side of the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So um, yeah, uh, delighted to have uh, Don come on and join us and, and talk about what it means to actually ship out an NFL franchise and, and play, play abroad. So uh, without further ado, um, here's Don. Yeah, so we're now welcomed by Don. Don, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So, just Don, can you tell us um, about your work with the Bills? Like, what were your main activities and how long were you with the uh, organization? Well, I ended up being there for 27 years, actually. I started as an intern um, in uh, my first four full time years were Super Bowl years, and I thought, Wow. That was how it was going to go every year. <laughs> I did it for a while, but then I guess the law of averages took hold and there were 17 years of, of not even really close to that. And then uh, so I, I served as director of football administration, which is, is really a fancy way of saying that I was the business guy on the football side of the organization. So I tried to I work with the trainers, the scouts, the coaches. Uh, the players, to some extent, uh, you know, they were the talent. They were brought in with, uh, you know, for their experience and what they did, their niche. And it was up to me to try to take as much ad- administratively off of their plate as possible so they could do what they did and try to help us win football games. So I felt uh, that I was at least indirectly uh, trying to, you know, uh, with wins and losses being part of that. But um, it, it was a great experience. It lasted until, until – uh, 2017, when um, a new regime came in, and uh, as they were able to do, they had some of their own people that they, I'm sure, had told, hey, if I'm ever a GM, Brandon Beans, you know, I, you're going to come with me. And they did a little bit of a reorganization. Really, they let the whole scouting staff go, anyone involved in, in uh, football personnel. But uh, they were good to me. They gave me a soft landing, and uh, I was able to do some other things after that, I wrote a book and working on another one. I'm doing the podcast, as Charlie, you know, because you were on our podcast. We got Absolutely, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we got great feedback about that. And uh, so I'm able to, you know, be here with you at 10 o'clock Eastern, uh, <laughs> where I probably yeah. wouldn't have otherwise been able to do that if I was still there. Awesome. Great stuff. So tell us about the podcast. Like, what does it talk about? How do you cover football now within that forum? Yeah. All right. Well, it's... Um, 
we, Josh, uh, my co-host, uh, he and I worked together back in the, the late nineties. He, he actually spent a, a season working on the coaching staff, right in the sideline in the coaching room, um, right there on the sidelines during games. I was again, director of football administration and we, he got let go, you know, way, way back then is same thing. It was kind of a, a huge turnover and uh, we kind of lost track of each other for, for many years. And then he had seen where I got let go by the bills. So he connected with me, we got together, shared a bunch of stories and kind of almost like you guys were saying, you, you talked to each other on Twitter and about the bills. Some of the stories came up where I, I don't, I forget who even suggested it. I think it was Josh, but he's like, Hey, we should do a podcast and share some of these stories and see if people like them basically. And even if they didn't, we knew we had fun talking about them, but uh, we, we kind of each bought a $50 um, microphone from Best Buy and, and used my laptop and, and the story started to flow. We, we put it out there and people seemed to really like it. And then the cover one network uh, heard about us and, Thought, you know, they, I don't know if you've listened to Cover One Network, they're mm. local. Yep. They do a tremendous job of breaking down uh, film. Um, they go beyond that, that, you know, after every game, they break down the good and the bad. And, and uh, you know, they get deep into the draft. They get deep into free agency. Uh, so Josh and I, we we touch on today's bills kind of, kind of from a 30,000 foot uh, a view, you know, the, the big things that are happening. But for the most part, we talk to people that have worked in the organization, players, coaches, uh, staff, media, and, and we like to ask them about their football journeys. And, um, and uh, they seem to appreciate it. We, Josh, in particular, has a great way of soliciting things from them that uh, they maybe hadn't thought about in a while. We ask them to remember what, you know, where were they on the day they, they were drafted and uh, what are their memories of getting that phone call. And, and for a lot of the older guys, I see Charlie, you've got a Thurman Thomas uh, frame Jersey behind you. Good choice. I do. <laughs> but yeah, when they were drafted, they didn't have cell phones. So a lot of the guys have funny stories about being in their college dorm and having one offensive lineman on each end of the hall to guard so that no one would use the one phone that was on the, on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, the stories are great. We sometimes are so good when we're hearing that, hearing them from, uh, these guys that we forget that we're the ones interviewing them and we listen later and like, Oh yeah, we were, we were talking to them. And anyway, uh, it's, it's been well received. And again, having Charlie on was, uh, was one that people really liked. I, I appreciate that. And, I, and I've been enjoying your podcast as well. I think like you say, you, you guys have a really good way of getting uh, you know, interesting stories out of people and, uh, and covering things that perhaps um, other people are not talking about, which I think is always great. Uh, you know, we're big fans of cover one. In fact, um, we have a friend of our podcast uh, there, Ryan Sullivan, who bizarrely, yeah. uh, we actually, he and I were on the same plane. We met in, in Boston Logan airport, both flying to, uh, to New Orleans for the uh, Thanksgiving game a couple of years ago, completely out, completely <laughs> out of the blue. So I sat there and chatted with him and his, his fiance for for a good while, and he's been on here as well. So yeah, we're big fans of Cover One, and great that you're connected to that group. Uh, they do, do fantastic work. So they're going to want they're going to want to hear this podcast. I know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I hope so. Um, so one of the major reasons we were keen to have you on, Don, is that you, know, you were part of the Bills organization when the Bills last came to London, and it's been a while. 2015 was when they they last visited again again against the Jags, and um, and so we wanted wanted to do is to get sort of behind the scenes of what that that process looks like and how that's different to about uh, you know the regular uh game day and, and, and game week experience so i think to start off with i wondered 
How does that information come to the team? I mean, does it get announced before ahead of the, the, the regular schedule? Um, Who does it come to? Do you sworn to secrecy? Because I know that here it's announced before many of the other games. Um, so I just wondered how that works. What's, what's that process look like? Yeah, it, it is. It's it's a big deal, and, and it's uh, obviously a game that that requires a great deal of preparation. So, uh, yes, we um, as an organization, uh, the the it, obviously everyone in the league knows there will be a game in London. Uh, we all know Jacksonville has kind of uh, claimed that uh, once a year a home game uh, for themselves, uh, but they'll have an opponent, and there there are always there's always another game. So prior to the schedule coming out in May, um, for someone in my position, you know, we're told it's, it's a little stronger than a rumor. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, very you, likely. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, it's very, yeah, very likely to happen, which means it's going to happen. Uh, the owners are told earlier uh, because they have, they're part of committees, NFL committees. They have their top people on the committees that get together for owners meetings and even before. Uh, and then the team president is usually told that, yes, it's likely you're going to play in, in London and it'll probably be in the stretch <clears throat> and that they're building the bye week out after it. Um, so then we're told internally, uh, officially before the schedule comes out, the people that need to know, right? Um, because there, there's there will be a certain level of advanced scouting that's required for officials for the from the team uh, to go over there to look at uh, possible hotels that the league suggests or recommends that would uh, that would suit a team to be not only just you know a uh, hundred plus rooms, but would have the proper meeting space. Um, and in the case where we stayed, uh, access to a practice facility, because you still have to practice every day before the game, mm -hmm. um, that uh, is either a short drive or in our case where we stayed, which is uh, the Grove. I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves, but they, they had created a practice facility, which was probably from... I imagine was probably a, a, a soccer or an American, uh, American football field there uh, yep. that converted into a field that if you didn't know any better would have been one on our own facility. It looked, you know, it, all the specs exactly were, were there. So it didn't have to go anywhere. Uh, and it felt, it felt like training camp, honestly, it felt mm. like, you know, we were all there um, as a team, not, not the whole organization uh, went, but a significant number to try to, uh, maintain operations as if you were still back at one bill's drive. And it, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a distance. It's, it's further than you would normally go. Um, although flying from, I don't know, I guess, did you fly to Toronto or, uh, was, was that the, was that the, or direct, I guess direct, right. From Buffalo on we a charter plane. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, it, what is it? Uh, I guess maybe seven hours or something, six and a half, seven hours. So it's not massively different than maybe going to LA. Uh, right. I was just wondering how, how's that different in terms of process? Obviously you're changing countries. So you're going to make sure every player's got a passport and that kind of stuff. But it, uh, uh, what was it? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh boy, yeah, you brought that up. I, I've got something to share with you about that. For oh, okay, sure. we'll get into that. I don't that. know if you meant now, but yeah. Yeah, well, what... I, was, I was just thinking, like, how, what are the major differences between, say, going to London or going to LA, which the distances are not massively different. Obviously, the time zones are going the other way. But yeah, tell me what are those big differences? Well, you know, passports included, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the big difference is, like you said, it's really only maybe an hour of a flight longer than going to Seattle or, mm -hmm. or LA. 
the West Coast. But uh, number one, like I mentioned, you have to do the advanced scouting, uh, have some people go over once they decide that that hotel, uh, because you're we, we're going to stay there for a week. Now, that, that doesn't ha happen right. when we go to L.A. We might go out to L.A. one day earlier to get out acclimated, like on a Friday, get acclimated on the Saturday. Um, back in 2012, we played in San Francisco and then Arizona, and the coach at the time, which <clears throat> was Chan Gailey, uh, we decided to play in San Francisco, fly to Arizona, spend the week there, and then play Arizona and come home. But that was the only time in my career that we ever spent a week anywhere other than London. So, but yeah, like you mentioned, there's a passport factor. So um, you, you, by maybe luck or chance, you are talking to the person that was all too familiar with the passports. I somehow i don't know if i won or i should say lost uh, the, the, the you're in the wrong meeting don uh, yeah they, they decided i and i think it stemmed from me i i handled the players pay mm. um and you know they used they were paychecks they got converted to uh direct deposit but there was still a paper receipt that they would pick up in my office every week uh, i had a safe I would put them in the safe and then the players knew they could come pick them up on a Wednesday and it provided them an opportunity to open it up. And the players pay is very, there's a lot of variables. They would ask me, you know, what's this addition or subtraction for? And I would, I would help them with that. But because I had the safe and I handled pay, they thought, Hey, he should also handle the passports uh, for when we go to London. So um, we had some experience doing this from when we played a game in Toronto every year, mm -hmm, right? even though that was only just less than a two hour bus ride, we, we still needed passports and a manifest that we had to fax or send to uh, customs in advance. And we had five buses, but I, there was some level of me collecting passports and giving them back. Yep. Uh, uh, one time in the way there, one time in the way back, but for London, <laughs> not only did we have to collect them uh, a week earlier a week in advance and we had a couple of uh, interns do that for us one is uh his name was mitch reynolds who ended up getting the job as andy reed's right hand man in kansas city oh wow now yeah. I mean, if you watch a chiefs game he's right there behind andy reed and he's got two super bowl rings and i am both jealous and thrilled for him at the same time <laughs> <laughs> I, I was able to when the chiefs called me about him say here's one of the things that he did that helped prove his level of responsibility. But uh, so they all came to my office. We had a checklist to make sure everyone turned them in. And then I, I created an album and I had all the, it was just the players and coaches. If they were a trainer uh, or, or anyone else, you guys are on your own. Right. Look after yourself. Yeah. yeah you're going <laughs> to yeah. find your own way there. But, but we didn't want to leave that to chance for players and, and coaches. Yeah. So they all came to me. I had them in an album in alphabetical order. Uh, so we played on that Sunday, we played at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and uh, I normally would stay to the end of the game. But at, at, on that day, I left at halftime. I went to our airport uh, hangar and we had a charter flight ready. It was a very big plane. It had two levels. By the way, prior to that, I had to do the seating chart. Oh, wow. It's like a wedding planning. There's a lot of politics involved. And, yeah. you know, there were certain people that were supposed to be sitting near the owners, the owners uh, and the coaches and players of with a certain number of NFL experience had a part of the plane where, because it was a red eye, 
and we flew yeah. out that night. Their seats went back and it got dark so they could essentially get a, what was as close to a night's sleep as possible. Mm -hmm. But when we got backing up, when we, I left at halftime, the, the Bengals game went there. I was at positioned with another person um, at, at the hangar. When someone came in, uh, they were directed to me. I would give them their passport. Now the line started backing up because it was, I had to flip through all these pages. They would then take their passport, go to a, another point in the hangar, present it to customs who were there. After that, they would dump it in like, we had someone else waiting there with like a bucket. They would dump their passport in the bucket. And then when we went through that whole process, I got on my, I got in the plane to my seat. They gave me the bucket. I had an empty seat next to me. I had to take every passport and put it back into the album in alphabetical order. Oh my word. Then, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was long. Fortunately, it was long enough flight. They had dinner for us. Um, but uh, about, I coordinated this with the person in charge of the flight about an hour before we landed. Um, I had to go around and I, again, I had the seating chart cause I did the seating chart to every single person, give them their passport back. A lot of them, I had to wake up. It was dark. I had to like nudge them like, <laughs> Hey, Hey, here's your, passport, here's your passport. I remember the one player we had, uh, I want to say it was, uh, what was his name? Brooks. He was, a, a DB, uh, ended up going with, ended up going with the Eagles. I think, uh, mm -hmm. might have been a rookie Brooks, um, wouldn't take it. He's like, no, don't you keep it. You keep it. I want to, <laughs> I didn't want to lose it. <laughs> yeah, but I said we were going to need it. Oh no, it wasn't him. I said, "Hey, it was I think is someone next to him, a player." I said, "Could you take his passport because he was asleep?" I'm like, "Nope." He goes, "Nope." Oh, all right, so I get to somebody else to give it to him like a trainer. But um then I got off the plane after after having given everyone their passports. I got off the plane with an intern and the two owners, Terry and Kim Pagula. Normally, I wouldn't have been, you know, coupled with them to get off the, but they wanted them off first. And I walked with them and then we went to customs at Heathrow airport. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I now presumably everyone had their passports. So same thing. They would go through customs. I had already gone through, I was waiting with an intern. We had two buckets. So when they would come through, they would drop them back in the buckets and, and we'd be fine. So as the players were coming through, um, they, they, a bunch of them told me three or four said, Hey, Jonathan Meeks doesn't have his passport. He was like a backup <laughs> special teams guy. And I'm like, ah, I remember giving it to him. I remember having to wake him up. I said, I know he has it. I promise. And some guys, I said, Oh, he'll find it. He'll find it. And then they kept, they came through and guys were like, something doesn't have his passport. I thought, I know, I know. And then I I'm like, wait a minute. He didn't say Meeks. He said Hughes. He's like, Jerry Hughes. Hey, wait, now Jerry Hughes. Yeah, oh, no, that's passport? a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait a minute now. So I said, I definitely know I gave it to him, too, because he was sitting across the aisle from Marcel Darius. And I Jerry wasn't even sleeping. And I gave it to Jerry and I gave Marcel's. And I remember Hughes saying, let me see that passport of yours. And, and they traded passports to see where they had traveled before. Oh, wow. OK. So I even remember Jerry thanking me for it and having these. they traded and so all the players and coaches came through and they're back there were Jerry Hughes and Jonathan Meeks <sighs> unable to come through because they claim they didn't have their passport. So they went back and to the seat, they found Meeks is buried in a seat somewhere. They took Jerry <laughs> Hughes's 
so the buses are gone. They, they are gone all the way to the Grove. We were left behind, uh, me and a few officials, Jerry Hughes and Jonathan Meeks. And honestly, guys, it was, I was living a nightmare. That sounds incredibly stressful. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> it, was so, it was literally a nightmare I had going into that week that this would, this might happen. And picturing, you know, Rex getting the hotel. Hey, I heard we don't have our starting defensive end this week. Thanks to you, Purdy. Or, oh, but so, so we were waiting and waiting and we found Meeks. But Hughes was there with us. And like I said, Jerry, I remember giving this to you, honestly. And so someone from um, the, the British government came, the UK government came to us and said, we're like, what happens if we don't find this thing? He said, well, we're going to go down to Parliament. You're going to have to, it's going to cost you 2,000 pounds just to get in front wow. of a magistrate or a judge. And uh, we're picturing one of those wig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, oh man. And then you could try to make your case that um, we had copies of them. We made photocopies. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we're there. It had to be a, a hour, a long hour. And somebody said, Jerry, just, just check your that your bag again. He's like, oh. all of a sudden he opened up his bag and it fell on the floor. Oh my word! I, and I, I almost throttled him. Out of really, he was like, how about that? There, <laughs> casually and nonchalantly. And then we had to take a cab to all the way to the Grove, and we got there, and our, our week of work began. But that was that was my ordeal, uh, having to you know with with the passports and oh i you know i i can i can have some degree of sympathy it, it wasn't an employment <laughs> situation but as tim knows i i once did lose my yeah. passport abroad uh but actually the, the example i was thinking of is i once went on holiday with my my son was only must be about two and a half something of that age and he was sat on a one of these uh trolleys with the, with the cases on and i needed to get something out of a a, a bag I was carrying. So I just handed them to, to my son and said, Hey, can you just hold that for a second? And I, and there was three passports there. I turned around literally for eight seconds. I turned back around to my son. Passports were gone. <laughs> and he, and oh. this two-year-old boy had decided to post them between all of the different cases. Cause that was a fun game, but that was a, a, a slightly stressful situation. You know, I was, I was one, one person from the, from the front of the line. So, you know, I, it probably didn't last as long as the panic you had, but I, I, <laughs> well, hey, it's your son. Hey, yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um, in terms of, so, when you landed at Heathrow, like when was that? Like, because I imagine for a normal US game, um, you'd fly out usually like the day before. Um, so this was going to be, I, I assume, a couple of days prior, even before that. So like, what, three, four days before the game? Oh, it was, it like was a full week. A full week. Wow. Okay. So how did the players, coaches, yourselves, like how did you manage your time? Like when you're not training or game planning, like were you able to do a lot of sightseeing and, you know, have quite a bit of downtime or was it pretty, um, you know, similar to a normal game week in the U S where it's pretty focused on the football. It, it was um, not typical of a, of a game. Well, we tried to simulate it as best we could, but we landed at Heathrow. So we, we played the Bengals on that Sunday afternoon at one had the flight that evening. Uh, there was a meal at the stadium, had the flight that evening, got to Heathrow. Um, I want to say it was around noon-ish the next day, Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, took the buses, in my case, the, the <laughs> <laughs> those guys. And uh, they, they let guys um, unpack. And then they, they had a practice right away. They had, it, was, mm-hmm. it was a walkthrough. Uh, they didn't want guys falling asleep 
Um, they wanted him to try to to maintain some level of of continuity. Right. So yeah, they stayed up. They had dinner. We brought our own chef with us, and mm-hmm. uh, they um uh, they had um uh so so the the main the, the food is food is very good uh, there obviously, but what what the menu specific to the players has a certain amount of carbs a certain yeah of course it it has like plenty of fat during the week but then every day the fat gets less and less and less and there's more protein more protein um and uh so that that was an element that that was an extra but um you know once we were there we had the players always get tuesday off at home because that's part of the cba uh, yep. Well, they get one day a week. It just always happens to be a Tuesday. And then, um, so they had some free time on Tuesday. We did not as a staff, we were still working. Uh, and we were at the Grove, which was an hour away from the city, but the players were able to go um, in, into London on that Tuesday, uh, as long as they were back for meetings. And then Wednesday, they really uh, picked up the schedule like a normal week. And uh, I had tried to go, Paul Lancaster, our player engagement director, and Casey Weidel, uh, our our scouting coordinator, and I, the three of us were in the office all week. And on Thursday night, we thought, you know what? We have a chance to maybe go into the city. We felt good about where we were at, mm-hmm. kind of on cruise control administratively. So we took the train uh, into the city, and we just barely got in there. We were, I think, uh, the Westminster Abbey, and we saw Big Ben and got a, got a little selfie. I actually, it was my Facebook profile for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was proud of that. But then Paul got a call that uh, one of the players, John Miller, a guard, that his uh, father, either his father or mother, I can't recall, but a parent had passed away oh. and had, had to rush back oh, to yeah. Buffalo. And uh, yeah. so we had to get right back on, on the train, go back to the Grove because I had all the passports. Mm-hmm. I had them. Mm-hmm. In a, it was a, a security officer there at the hotel that had them in a safe. So I went there, I pulled John's, I gave it to him. So we had an abbreviated uh, uh, tour of the city. Uh, but then the next night on Friday night, Terry and Kim Pagula uh, took the entire staff uh, and we, they rented out the top floor of the Tower of London. Oh wow! Having a light that shined the charging Buffalo logo on there, and I, I almost, I almost felt guilty a little bit, as great as it was. But like for locals here, you, you've got a, a thousand-year-old iconic <laughs> building. You know, in America, our oldest buildings are, you know, two hundred fifty years old. But, but I was like, here we're, you know, I got a football logo on a place with such history. But any, I do. It was just a, it was a great time. We had like a cocktail party up there, and the whole staff got to get together. Uh, some because we, we were in some different hotels and and the players and uh, just one real nice night to uh, to hang together and then uh, before the game which is two days away. Fantastic! Wow, awesome, good stuff. And before the trip, when it was even first announced, like what was the the vibes from the players having to play overseas? Like, did they consider it a massive uh, inconvenience, or was there some excitement to do something new and you know come overseas? Um, there were, there was, it was definitely on the positive side. They definitely viewed it as an opportunity, uh, to, to go play somewhere as a unique experience. Uh, we tried to keep, we tried to have them allow them some sense of that without having the novelty of it, 
uh, interfere with their preparation to win mm. the football game. I mean, that that's that's paramount is, is to go and win the game no matter where it is. But we wanted yeah. them to have some uh, some level of experience that that was balanced. We, we wanted to take the burden of that as, as a staff and administration, all the heavy lifting away to make it seem as normal as possible for them. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we, as a staff, we got together at night afterwards at like nine or 10 o'clock and maybe had a pint together with a chef. And, and, uh, I actually got to know some people, uh, in our own staff better that week than mm. I had ever gotten to know them back home, <laughs> you know, just right. to be together. But, uh, no, the players, they, they appreciated it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I felt like we, you know, had a, had a, a, a decent balance there. Um, so they could enjoy it, but still feel ready to play. And, you know, it, it's hard yeah. to quantify, but we, we certainly tried. Makes sense. I mean, I think that uh, well, that's great to hear. I'm glad that people actually got a chance to explore the, the place and have got a feeling for, for being somewhere different. Because I think sometimes teams go in and out very quickly, especially these days, they don't get too acclimatized and obviously they just don't get that experience and it, and it really is a regular game week. Um, just a, a quick quick couple before we, we finish. Um, do you have many memories of the game? I mean, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I did look up the score again, 34 to 31 for the Bills. And what I remember is being heartbroken in that first half because uh, the Bills were just, you know, uh, it was intercepted. Central. It was the first time I'd ever seen the Bills in person. And then there was this incredible fight back in the fourth quarter, but it didn't quite quite pay off. Um, do, you, do you have any yeah. sort of particular memories of the game? Well, and also, you know, the atmosphere is pretty different here, isn't it? Because we have this mixed crowd. You know, you're not going to get a stadium full of your own fans. It's going to be much more diverse. But yeah, what, what were your impressions of, of playing Wembley? Yeah, no, it was an amazing stadium. And we, I'll, you guys would be flattered to hear. I don't know if you heard an interview we did with the current vice president of guest relations at the Bills, Annie Major. But uh, with the new Bill Stadium coming up, we asked if, he, if he'd seen all the stadiums in the NFL. We asked which stadium that uh, uh, they were trying to best emulate. And he, he said Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the game was uh, – Back, the game was tough. We, you know, dug ourselves a huge hole, unfortunately. EJ Manuel uh, was playing in place of Tyrod Taylor, and uh, he got off to a rough start. You're right, interceptions and turnovers. And um, actually, back at the hotel, EJ, I thought, was going to be late for the bus. He was just a little too polite. He was waiting to pay his incidentals for dry cleaning. <laughs> Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. And there was a couple staff members in front of him. Like the bus is out there. You got four minutes. I said, I'll take care of this at home, EJ. You get on the on the bus. So we got there. The game, yeah, terrible start. And I, I, please trust me when I say this. I really try not to ever hold the refs. I try to be crazy when people. But but there was, if you look back at the, the film, we we clawed our way back, took the lead. Had Jacksonville on their final drive, I think it was fourth and whatever, and there was a pass interference call against Nicole Roby Coleman that uh, was not a good call. It was just no. it, it was not a good call. It and, was a bad call. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it gave Jacksonville a fresh set of downs. They scored. We didn't. We lost. It was a very long ride home. Very difficult. You know, it was one of those seasons again during those times where uh, we knew we were going to have to fight and scratch and claw to make the playoffs and mm. 
without room for error and uh, an AFC loss just really hurt us. Uh, and uh, it, I can't imagine how much fun the flight home would have been had we won uh, as it always is versus a loss, but boy, that was a, that was a tough one to swallow, but it didn't take away from the fact that we had a good experience there. And I know when the bills go back this year, they'll use what went right in terms of how we, how we, spent the week there and, and use it and maybe get a chance to explore the city a little more knowing that we have a successful template for it. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be anxious to hear how that goes for them. So you mentioned actually uh, just a bit of a sidebar, you mentioned the fact that obviously the Bills played in Toronto um, uh, some years before. And I wondered if there was a kind of a, a PR promotional aspect to the bills coming to London this time, like, you know, when you, when you, when you came over with them, whether it was a kind of an idea of let's try and grow the fan base or was it very much like, no, we're just here to play the game. Was that sort of part of the, the discussions at all? Um, I think the, the, the biggest difference between playing in Toronto and playing in, uh, in London, well, there's two big differences. Uh, one was uh, how it was decided to play that playing in London was a team decision. Uh, the management at the time thought that it was important to try to increase our fan base from, I don't know, this wasn't my area when I was there, but let's say it was, uh, you know, 15% of, of Bill's uh, attendees at home games were, were Canadian fans. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted like, you know, double that, you know, Toronto's huge. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. It's the third largest mm -hmm. city in North America. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and it's only, uh, you know, less than two hours away, but um, so that was a team decision and the league agreed to it. Uh, it was not very popular around here. Right. Because they kept mm -hmm. losing um, divisional games. Like we, like the first time we played Miami or in Toronto, was home was a quote home game uh, against the Dolphins, a game that you would otherwise it's have iconic, yeah. I mean, yeah, the yeah, floor yeah. for the team here in December, and we just gave away that home field advantage. What made it worse was that uh, when we played there, and this is no exaggeration, half half the stadium was Dolphin fans, and then the next year it was half Jets fans, the next year it was half Redskins fans, and even well, the, the the time where we knew there was a real problem was when we played the Atlanta Falcons, and half the stadium was Atlanta Falcons fans. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, that's the national <laughs> following, but not the Falcons, and it be, it was a huge logistical lift, like disproportionate to the distance we had to go to play in London. Uh, it was almost equally as hard to prepare for just one day to go to Toronto. Again, we had to uh, have um, pre-screening any, any, I say player, but any employee that was ever arrested for anything, even if they weren't convicted, right. we had to jump through hoops to get them over the border. Uh, right. And uh, so um, wow. that, that was our security had a heavy lift on that. And then um Again, when we got there, there was no home field advantage. Even worse, and I think the last time we played there, I, I always spent uh, the game in the Blue Jays' home locker room, which is beautiful. And the other team got the visiting team locker room, which I never saw. But we had the we had the uh, visitor, the, the like the manager. I was in the manager's office for the Blue Jays, and they were always out of town, of course. But uh, to hear and watch the game. It was, we could see it on a huge screen, a TV, but there was like a five second delay. And yeah. um, so, you know, the game was close, fourth quarter, 
And the last year we played there, the GM at the time, Doug Whaley, and the assistant GM, Jim Monas, came in to join us to watch the game there. They didn't like they were, where they were sitting. And we're watching, and we're like, we're on a, what was hopefully going to be a game-winning drive. And you'd see the quarterback drop back. And on our screen, he was just about to make a pass, but you could hear the sta- the fans inside the stadium cheer. And I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Uh, we, we would hear the cheer and not know – which whether the cheer meant it was good for us or bad for us. And oh, all of a sudden we'd yeah. be like, Oh, Oh no, incomplete. They were cheering because <laughs> we didn't convert. And, and yeah. Doug Whaley said, for whatever power I have for this, this yeah. is it. I will yeah. never advocate. I will, I, I will discourage us from ever doing this again. And then as timing would have it, uh, Terry and Kim Pagula bought the team. Uh, and one of the first things they said was, we're, we're not going to do the Toronto anymore. Kind of they right. they love yeah. the Canadian fans, but you know, I, we didn't know if it was because they love their, they love their beloved NHL, um, uh, Maple Leafs so much and, and the Sabres and Bills arrivals, or they were threatened by the fact that they also love their, uh, Canadian, uh, uh league, uh, t- yeah. Argonauts and thought, oh no, but if they, if they move here, we're going to lose them. We don't know, but for whatever reason, they, a lot of Canadian fans love to come to Buffalo. They love to tailgate, and the team is so thankful for them. But playing in Toronto, it just didn't yeah. work. It's funny you say that. Mm-hmm. We had a, a guy, uh, Daryl Webster, come on, who's uh, from a Toronto native, and he, um, we talked to him about you know the, 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 these games, and he said that for him, as a, as a, as a Canadian, as a guy from Toronto, he would happily come to Buffalo, but he didn't want to see the Bills move to Toronto. He's like, I don't want to see, I don't want to see, yeah. you know, um, a, a community have their, you know, their heart ripped out by shifting it. You know, we, we come here for the, for the Buffalo experience. And, and it's, um, I thought that was interesting. You know, you might've thought, well, yeah, it'd be great if we had an NFL team, but like you say, it's such a big city. I mean, there's fans from, for every team there, you know, so a good chunk of those Falcons teams, probably locals in Toronto, you know? <laughs> so oh, yeah, and so, they were, I I'm sure of it. And I appreciate yeah. whoever you were talking to, I appreciate their sentiment that they were kind of feeling like they'd hate to see us lose the team and they would want to, uh, right. you know, move here and see us. That, uh, that, that makes me feel good that that's, I, I hope I know that was a sample of one, but I right, but yeah, it was just an interesting perspective. Too, right, it, it was definitely different to what I was expecting. Yeah, so I would not, yeah, no. I would not categorize uh, the game played in London. Uh, I would not put them in the same buckets at all. Right. We had a very positive experience. Now, you know, you're right. We saw. I, I wouldn't say that the stadium was even really half Bills fans, but there were enough. You could hear, you could hear when Jacksonville uh, had the ball and you, you could hear some, some noise enough that, and, and to Jacksonville's credit, they were starting to build a fan base there too. But you saw a lot of other jerseys. I think Charlie, when you were on our, our podcast, we mentioned that we saw, we played a little game in the pregame and we saw a jersey tried to find a jersey from every nfl team and we did <laughs> yeah. well you'd be, be pleased to know we're, we're busy uh buying up and and distributing as many tickets for the uh the game in london to bills fans that we know as possible so we're pretty confident the spurs stadium is going to feel like it's going to feel like a home game uh, we, we, right. we definitely feel like that <laughs> yeah and i feel like it's reminiscent like you think about the jaguars and the fact that they've got 
well at least one home game a year over here and you know it's almost like that like the Jaguars fans in Jacksonville you know they're kind of threatened by the prospect of potentially moving you know across a pond and playing overseas and you know for for us as UK fans and Europe fans like it's a one-off game for you know whatever whichever other team they're facing so I feel like a lot of us actually root for the other team that base Jacksonville just because it's for different team and we don't get to see them and obviously it's a one-off for you know for Bills for in this instance like we haven't seen them since 2015 so we're all making a massive effort to to go to the game and as Charlie said like buy as many tickets as we can try and make it a 60-40 you know 70-30 split or although it's a little bit different obviously you do get fans from all the teams but at least uh, try and make it a I, I think the neutrals the, the neutrals will be Bills fans I hope um, because yeah. they'll be bored of the, the Jacksonville thing Jacksonville. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are smart fans. I, I like, I like the way you're seeing that through in terms of how it helps, uh, you know, keep things, you know, stable in the NFL for us, for Jacksonville. But I think what's changed um, obviously since 2015 is with this current uh, Bill's team and the success they've had since, you know, uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean got there and they, you know, making the playoffs, uh, as you both are testament and part of, you know, Bill's Mafia has, has really grown since 2015. And, and uh, um, you know, the connections that you made through social media, just the way you met each other, uh, it, it's, it, it's exploded. And I, I can definitely see that translating into an increased number of fans attending, um, attending uh, the, the game there. And I think Josh, um, our Josh Cormier, or Mike, podcast co-host uh, who handles our, our Twitter account um, got a good reaction after your podcast, Charlie, where uh, there was some banter going back and forth conversations about who might be going to the game and mm-hmm. you, you had left some tips and people were listening and uh, indicating that they were at least thinking about going from here. Oh, there's so, plenty coming over. Yeah. I was just talking yeah. to Kristen Kimmick, who I know, you know, uh, just a right. few days ago and she's coming over and, uh, you know, I know a lot of people from the States that, that, that are coming over, which is, which is great. It's, I'm, I'm taking a week, I'm taking a long weekend off Thursday through to Monday <laughs> and I'm just going to party for, <laughs> for five days. So, um, it's going to be, it's going to be great fun. Oh, well, good, good deal. And, uh, um, yeah, you, you're, you're, it's awesome that you're taking lead on that and with, uh, Kristen and, and uh, I, got, I get a feeling you'll be happy with the results. It's going to feel, it's going to feel uh, like, like, like a Bill's backers bar. Well, you said you actually, you, you have some over there, right? That you we do. Yeah, that, we have, right? we have two, we have uh, one in London, one in Manchester. And uh, towards the end of last season, we were, we were selling out the bar in London. Uh, it was actually over capacity. We were able to turn people away. We had 120 people turning up. It was uh, standing room only. And um, yeah, we got a whole heap of events and, and different things and uh, for people, fans coming over. So those of uh, you listening, uh, just look out on social media on you know, London Bill's back is our Twitter account on uh, UK Bill's and you'll see all kinds different events and i know fans of buffalo are also putting some stuff on so there will be no shortage of uh, bills related activities that's for sure but let's um just to, to the end of this let's turn to the, this next season uh, tim i know you've got a couple of uh, final questions right yeah it's just um you know what do you expect from this bills team um how do you think they've handled the off season um what do you think uh what would you project the uh, record to be uh coming end of season yeah I, you know um this is maybe a boring answer, but hopefully well-received. And I mean it, and truthfully, I, I just think uh, Bills fans should expect more of the same, more of more of contending, if not contending, but winning the division again. Um, yeah, I mean, the Jets, Jets, 
Aaron Rodgers will make them a little bit more of a threat. They had some great rookies, <laughs> offense, defensive rookie of the year last year. Um, but, you know, the Bills split with them last year. If they split with them again, uh, you know, you still see a pathway toward winning the division. Uh, you split with Miami last year and uh, swept New England. Um I can kind of see that happening again. I think it's good to get the Jets early before maybe Aaron Rodgers uh, finds that chemistry with with uh, his receivers there. Catching them early might be a good thing. Um, it, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I know Tremaine Edmonds, at middle linebacker, the loss of him uh, has some people concerned. Uh, there were others, though, that thought, he always found is smart, always found his way into a good position, but didn't always necessarily finish the play. Uh, I think maybe he got uh, blamed a little more than he should have for some big runs that happened against the defense. But, um, you know, in a Sean McDermott defense, uh, he will find a way to, to be next man up. Uh, and whoever's next to Matt Milano, uh, I, I'm sure they'll be a very tough uh, uh, run defense. I think you get Trey White back now. Last year, um, I, I don't think he was yet 100%, at least when he first came back uh, from the ACL injury. We had Marlon Kerner, a former Bills player, on, and he just um, he had two ACL surgeries himself and talked about how it, it's, it's tough to come back and, and be 100% right away, even, even after a year in, in your head. But I think he'll be back to his uh, all-pro form. Um, I think Damian Harris getting him, you know, first of all, addition by subtraction, the Patriots lose him. Uh, I think he is, he's that four yards in a cloud of dust running back that the bills need to convert third downs. Um, he's not real flashy, but he's a nice, I think he's a player that the type of player that could have used uh, before that um, before now. And uh, you will see about cook. He's a, a, a great smooth athlete, but they might really complement e each other well. And of course, uh, uh, Dalton Kincaid, I, it's been a while since I've heard uh, Bill's fans and the media talk about a rookie who they're excited to see make an impact. And on our uh, podcast, if the walls can talk in Buffalo, I've been reaching out to a lot of tight ends uh, to talk with Pete Metzlar's Butch Roll, uh, Mark Campbell, Robert Royal. I just reached out to Scott Chandler. We're going to try to get a bunch of those guys on between now and training camp and into training camp to talk not about, about uh, their careers only, which we do and we enjoy, and hopefully they enjoy, listeners enjoy. But uh, we're going to ask them, you know, how it, how is that transition from college to the, the NFL as a tight end? It's a strange position because it's a, a hybrid, obviously, of – of, uh, you know, a player who's bigger than a receiver, but smaller than an offensive lineman, but he lines up often at the end of the offensive line. And he, number one, his first goal is to try to deceive the defense. And what is he going to do? Is he going to block? Is he going to go out on a route? Uh, and how you learn that. And then it, we're, we're going to ask these guys, you know, is it harder to learn the blocking or is it harder to learn the receiving? Obviously, Kincaid is a great uh, receiver, but we're going we're gonna to have them essentially invite them to give uh, Kincaid some, some advice, <laughs> whether or not he ever hears our podcast or not. Who knows? We'll see. We've, we've got some, some people in, uh, in the Bills, um, players and, and coaches that we still know. We're still working on that. But anyway, we're, we're, we're excited to hear uh, their take on, on how it is that can, Dalton Kincaid can um, 
you know, be successful right away because, you know, in order for this team to, to stay on top, they're, they're, they're going to need, um, they're going to need uh, production from him right away. I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that he's, if we goes as we expect, he may end up being the wide receiver too. And, uh, but yeah. you're right. There's a weird position you know, you're learning how to catch you're running routes and or to how to block and, uh, and also disguise what it is you're trying to do. So there's a, there's a lot to learn for a, for a tight end. So, um, fantastic. For, for and, sure. And- we're hearing good things about, you know, in minicamp, they don't do a whole lot, but we're hearing that, uh, they, they look like the player they thought, uh, they were drafting. So that's a good sign. And, and, and training camp is that next step. And hopefully week one against the Jets, you'll, you'll be seeing the production, you know, right away. So I'm sorry, you asked me my prediction on the record, uh, 12 and five. 12 and five. 12 and five. Yeah. Uh-huh. And another, another, another AFC East championship. However, um, here, here's my caveat to that. Uh, the, the team has done such a great job of finishing where they need to by starting by winning the division. And, you know, the, the last two playoff results haven't been, uh, you know, obviously where the team wanted to go as far as they wanted to go, but should the team make the playoffs as a, a wild card and not win the division, I would say fear not because in a weird, strange way, it could almost, almost work to their advantage. I'm not saying they should try to do this by any means, <laughs> yeah. but, but um, it takes a little bit of, of the pressure off, and it's the team has shown they can win on the road, hmm. and almost kind of like they don't. They've been the team that you know with the bullseye on them. Uh, as long as they're they're healthy and playing well. Uh, they, 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 there's another pathway to advance in the playoffs that doesn't necessarily have to mean, uh, you know, being the, the, the one or the two seed and the big difference, you know, the one seed is, is clearly the goal, but yeah. uh, plenty of teams, you know, make it. Uh, and as like Steve Tasker said, I heard him on one bullseye the other day. Um, all that matters is how you play that day on that playoff game. And it, it almost seems unfair, you know, because, you work so hard to position yourself and, but nothing's given to you, you know, you, you have to earn it. And, and he remembers his own run. He'll, he'll say he was on our program too, talking about, you know, as great as those teams were the four Super Bowls, they needed to show up and make plays during the playoff game. And hopefully this Bills team won't have all of the uh, unfortunate things that happened to them last year, obviously. Um, but uh they're they're more mentally tough for it and you know look out they're they're i i feel like they're uh they're going to be obviously making a uh a, a big play towards the super bowl and we'll just see how they play when the playoffs come but enjoy yeah. the regular right. season in the meantime yeah we, we certainly hope so and I, I think you're right i think this is it's still still a very good football team and i think it's actually a better football team than it was last year mm-hmm. and uh i think a bit of a bit of luck going their way, a few, a couple of less injuries, and um, they're right in there. And I think that the one thing that they have in their favor, I think, yes, it's going to be a tough division, but it's not like the Chiefs and the Bengals have easy divisions either. Um, so uh, I think uh, there's going to be scrapping out for that one seed. In fact, it could even be the Jags that have the easiest division. So <laughs> let's see how that plays out. It's a great point, Charlie. And I think, you know, with the injuries too, you know, when you go back to the two years ago, the tr- I, I truly feel, and it's a hypothetical, you can't, uh, there's no way of knowing this, but I feel like that that horrible 13 seconds that happened 
Trey White as is not only a great cover guy, he was also an excellent tackler. Guys compare him to like an Antoine Winfield. Um, I just really feel like at least one of those two plays doesn't happen if Trey White is on the field that day. Similarly, we saw what Von Miller could do uh, last year yeah. uh, when he plays only X number of plays and he's fresh, uh, how disruptive he could be, how he could literally be a one-man wrecking crew in stopping the other team from making what might be a game-winning drive. And if uh, if he's healthy and they don't have another significant injury like that, um, that 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 could be yeah. obviously really helpful. It's fine margins, yeah. isn't it? And the NFL, you know, it's designed for parity, and these little things make a big difference. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Are you gonna, are, are, well, I'm great to still hear that you're a fan and you still watch the team and you're still all in. Um, that, that's that's really great to hear. And it's been a genuine oh, yeah. pleasure having you on, Don. We'd love to have you on again sometime, maybe in the, during the regular season. We can check in with you and see see how things are going. We'd love to. Likewise, gentlemen, we'd like to have you both on, on ours again. Uh, uh yeah yeah any time keep it going and maybe you could just let everyone know where they can find you um yes uh our podcast is if the walls can talk in buffalo uh twitter handle is at if buffalo we are on the cover one uh network uh we do a terrible job of promoting ourselves i would have totally (laughs) (laughs) i would have forgotten Uh, it's just not what josh and i it's not where we came from you know we were football guys uh and we we just we you know we we feel like we do a good job of that we do an awful job of promoting ourselves but the cover one uh, does a great job of, of helping us uh you know on the back end pick up the slack where we don't but uh having an opportunity to talk with you here um you know, we'd love to we'd love to have uh, our UK friends uh, be part of the the discussions that we have on Twitter and um, hear what we say and give us some feedback and let us know if there's topics you want to hear. We have a uh, <laughs> we have a uh, guest coming up in two weeks. He is he was the original Billy Buffalo mascot. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> mascot, and I had no idea. I work well, with this guy. I was gonna say, do you do you know him? You knew who he was? Did you? Or did you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Brad Post, and uh, he was the original Billy Buffalo, and he it was a full time job, and uh, and he has most hilarious stories. He was part of uh, an ESPN commercial in New York City where they were all dressed and getting ready to go, and they missed their cabs, and they had to hail down cabs dressed in their costumes and, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, he can't give everything away but he's he's going to share some stories uh so it's a little bit of a of a diversion but yeah we have a lot of other players and coaches and uh, media coming up including again we're going to try to really focus on tight ends and uh, tap into their their wisdom of of how to 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 uh, be a factor quickly in the nfl for for uh for kincaid Sounds incredible. We will certainly be listening and watching and yeah, fantastic. Thank you ever so much for sparing so much of your time on uh, on a Friday morning, Don. Um, wonderful Thank to you. have you on. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't get my one Benny Hill reference in now. I'm oh, be, those, yeah, those yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you got me in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Benny Hill and Monty Python. That's the, the, the two oh, that Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we love it. Yeah, but uh, you guys are fantastic and uh, look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Fantastic, Don. Thank you. Thank All you right. very much.